Wow, nice. Welcome everyone, and also everyone on, in Radioland. Am I looking here? Hello there out in Radioland. <clears throat> Welcome to Rainy Melbourne. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was still yeah. Well, welcome everyone. Please take the carrots out of your ears. <clears throat> and uh, I'd like to begin every program by remembering my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began every one of his programs by saying in Hindi, Sapko Varisan Mani Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he made that the cornerstone of his teachings, to welcome another person with love, understanding that within every person there is the divine spark, that God dwells within every person. And he used to say that his real worship was of the human being, because you can't get a greater deity than a human being. Of course, human beings don't always behave like deities, or they sometimes behave like really bad deities, uh, but the potential is there in everyone. So in that spirit, <coughs> I want to welcome you. And uh, satsang is for me a festival of hanging out with the great beings. I remember when I first turned to the path, on the first night that I met Ramdas, the American yogi, in Chicago, 1970, and one of the things I took away from there, actually the main thing, was that great beings exist now. Uh, not just uh, Jesus or the Buddha or, or these beings from the past, but great beings exist now. And what are great beings? Great beings are knowers of the self. These are people who sorted out the problems. I was feeling a huge amount of problems in my own life emotional problems, mental problems, and also external problems of all kinds. Um, and then he gave me the information, because he'd met uh, some great beings in the East, that they existed, and I thought, that's what I need. I need to meet somebody established in higher consciousness uh, who can teach me how to get there. And from that day, that night that I met him, I decided to go to India, and about uh, six months later, I guess, uh, I was on my way. <clears throat> so these programs are to celebrate these great beings. Of course, uh, the great being I celebrate most uh, is my own guru, Baba Muktananda, and his guru, Bhagwan Nityananda. But there also, I have a rotation of great beings that I go to. Tonight's great being, I haven't rotated to for a long time. Um, and it's one of the most famous saints of the 19th century. Perhaps he was the first modern yogi or sage uh, that came forward to, to these days, to this day. Uh, and there's a reason for it, which I'll say. And he is Sri Ramakrishna. 
the great Ramakrishna. Uh, and there are only four photographs, I think, about four, uh, of him extant. It wasn't like now uh, everybody has the latest uh, phone and you can take 10 million photographs every day. In those days, taking a photograph was a big deal. You had to go to the studio and then all kinds of things. So there are only about four. This is one where he's in samadhi, in deep trance. And you have another one? Uh, he's, uh, he's in samadhi here. He's in some ecstatic state in satsang with his devotees. And, and uh, one of his devotees, you know who it is? Ride? Anyway, one of them is holding him up so he doesn't fall over in his ecstasy. Uh, so those are a couple of pictures of Ramakrishna. <clears throat> he was born 18 February 19, 1836, so he's an Aquarius, uh, and he died in 16 August 1886. He was only 50 years old, uh, and yet had quite an extraordinary career. He was uh, born into a poor Brahmin family in rural Bengal, and from birth he was a very peculiar otherworldly child. He's obviously his mind was on elsewhere. He had his first spiritual experience when he was six. He reported, he said, he saw some white cranes flying against the background of dark clouds, and that put him in an ecstatic trance when he was six years old. Um, his father died when he was seven, uh, and his older brother, Ram Kumar, uh, studied to be a priest. So they were Brahmins, so they could become priests. And he went to Calcutta to assist Ram Kumar in 1852 when he was 16 years old. And Ram Kumar in 1855 was appointed the priest of Dakshineswar Kali Temple on the Ganges, which was a, a massive temple on the east bank of the Ganges River above Calcutta. Some of, some of, uh, of us have been there. I think uh, Swami Turiananda was there, and I think Swami Durgananda. Anybody else been to Dakshineswar? <coughs> no, it's a great uh, spiritual center in, near Calcutta. <coughs> and um, so his older brother was um, appointed the head priest of the Kali Temple there on the Ganges. Uh, the, the temple had been built by a rich woman named Rani Rasmani. Um, and uh, <laughs> Rani Rasmani, great name. Uh, and Ramakrishna and his nephew, Rudai, became assistants in the temple. Ramakrishna used to decorate the deities, <clears throat> just the way Nataraj does when he decorates them. Uh, in 1856, this is the next year, Ramakumar died, and Ramakrishna became the head priest of the temple at the age of 20. Uh, and he had, they had, uh, the temple is a big sprawling complex with many shrines and deities, and the one that he related to was, the main thing was the Kali te the temple, form of the goddess, a fierce, uh, powerful form of the goddess. And Ramakrishna had the most intense relationship with the statue of Kali. The statue would start talking to him. 
he'd go into a trance and he'd have conversations with it and he'd speak to her, oh mother, what shall I do? And she'd tell him. Uh, and she, he saw her as the mother of the universe and he was in an intoxicated state and word of this went, got back to his hometown. Uh, it was a little town called Karma Pakur, a country town, similar to what Ganeshpur must have been like 50 years ago. Um, and the family was uh, worried about him. They thought he'd become a little unbalanced by excessive spirituality. <laughs> so I'm sure some of your families have had that concern. <laughs> uh, and they thought, we know what to do. What do you do if, some, if uh, a young man in your family is, is uh, getting unbalanced by too much spirituality? What do you do? Feed him a banana. What? What's that? Find a wife. That was it? Yeah, marry him off. That's it. Obvious, obvious answer. <laughs> now you. Go. Uh, so they thought marriage would settle him down. Uh, however, um, he was married to Sharda Devi. Um, this will not go well in uh, modern times, but he was 23 and she was five. <laughs> this was normal. Nothing, it wasn't bad. She stayed at her family. They got married forward, and he only, she only joined Ramakrishna when she was 18. Um, and later she became a, a great being in her own right, and, and after his death she ran the Ramakrishna mission uh, for many years. They called her the Holy Mother. <clears throat> Ramakrishna had two main teachers um, one of them I'll tell you about uh, tonight. Uh, one was called the uh, Brahmani, the Bhairavi Brahmani, and the other was called Todapuri. Todapuri, Todapuri was a great and severe yogi, and uh, uh, Bhairavi Brahmani was a tantric uh, practitioner. And when he was about 25, she came to the temple and she saw him and she realized that he was in a very exalted state, that he was in what they call Mahabhav, that he was in a devotional uh, connection with God, uh, which is extremely rare. Um, uh, Brahmani had thought uh, that only uh, Radha, Krishna's Radha, and uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's the, uh, the founding father of the Hare Krishna movement, they were in this ecstasy, divine ecstasy, and Ramakrishna was like that. And she initiated him into the tantric worship of Shakti um, and transcending and the tantric path, transcending the distinction between holy and unholy by seeing everything as Shakti, everything as the divine energy, and making use of natural things as methods to attain the divines, and he went through 64 major tantric sadhanas. <clears throat> uh, he began with mantra, and uh, shall I read this part? He ended with the vamachara, the left-handed path, uh, including meat, wine, and sexual intercourse. But apparently, according to the, the Brahmakrishna mission, which is very laundered. Uh, he only needed to hear of this method 
to produce the result. He didn't actually have to practice it. So that's a relief. <clears throat> so he explored, he explored all the paths, worship of Ram, worship of Krishna, uh, during uh, the, the period where he became a Krishna devotee, he wore a sari and regarded himself as uh, Radha, one of the gopis of Vrindavan. So he really got into every bhav. He also did Christian sadhana, Islamic sadhana, uh, and attained the goal of all this. In other words, he was a unique, peculiar, mystical, exalted spiritual genius of a very, very uh, rare type. <clears throat> and so we're very lucky. One of the reasons that he's so well known is because uh, a man named Mahendranath Gupta, uh, who was a school teacher in Calcutta, heard about him and visited him. And he was, uh, uh, and he was blown away by what he found there uh, when he visited him in his room at the temple. Um, and he wrote his, a memoir of his meetings with Ramakrishna, what went on, and it produced one of the great spiritual masterpieces of modern times. It's called The Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna by M. This is Mahendranath Gupta. And um, it's like having, you know, Baba, we have a lot of footage and documentation, and uh, there's tons of it. Uh, so you have a feeling of knowing him, being with him, seeing what he's like. Ramakrishna, of course, they didn't have that. You have four photographs, but they have this book, uh, The Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, which is like being there. It's like seeing a movie of his life. It's one of the great books. I warmly recommend it to everybody. Uh, certainly to take when you go to your desert island, along with my books <laughs> and Baba's books, you can take that. You can also take Ramana Maharshi's conversations and some others. <clears throat> but um, uh, so this is from the Gospel of uh, Sri Ramakrishna, um, and you'll see that uh, you'll see how influenced he is by uh, the Brahmanis' uh, teachings of tantra and how he he brings the Vedanta and tantra together in a synthesis. <clears throat> so here we go. It's Sunday, December sixteenth. 1883, it's only a couple of years before he dies. Uh, and a lot happened in those years. His major disciples came to him uh, and they later took sannyas and then founded this Ramakrishna mission, which is still very um, active today. Uh, it's got uh, outposts everywhere <clears throat> and teaches meditation and uh, philosophy and so on. He writes, this is uh, Mahendranath Gupta. He writes, Sri Ramakrishna was seated with M, that's with him, on the semicircular porch of his room about 10 o'clock in the morning. And we have, uh, there is the semicircular porch. This is uh, in the temple on the, what did I say, the east bank of the Ganges. And so, just looking right out on the Ganges, basically. And uh, what other, you have other pictures of the temple gardens. Okay, so 
This is viewed towards Ramakrishna's room. It's up at the end of that, that hallway there. Um, what else do you have? One more? Okay, there, and that's, that's into his room. It's a view into his room, okay. <clears throat> anyway, so they were sitting with M on the semicircular porch of his room about 10 o'clock in the morning. The fragrance of gardenias, jasmines, oleanders, roses, and other flowers filled the air. It's romantic. The master was singing and went into an ecstatic mood. One of the characteristics of Ramakrishna was that he's so peculiar that as soon as he got into a spiritual mood, he would just leave the building and go into an ecstasy. Very charming. <clears throat> you know, I, I met um, Nim Kroli Baba, who was something like that, that he would go into various ecstasies. When he got too ecstatic, he'd run out of the room and uh, then he'd come back. Baba was always in, established in Sahaja Samadhi, in the natural state. So it was always, divinity was pouring out of him, but he didn't have to go into a trance. He was always in that place. I'm not saying that it's, one is better. If you're very peculiar, that's what happens. You go into these trances. <clears throat> the, so he went into an ecstatic mood. His body became motionless, and his mind stopped functioning. Tears streamed down his cheeks. After a while, he said, he's speaking to uh, uh, the Divine Mother. He says, oh, Mother, make me like Sita. That's Ram's wife, Sita. Completely forgetful of everything, body and limbs, totally unconscious of hands, feet, and sense organs, with only the thought in my mind, where is Ram? <clears throat> this is a bhakta's prayer. Let me forget all mundane matters and think only of God every moment. <clears throat> well, you'll have to give up, the mother said, you'll have to give up your devices. <laughs> Ramakrishna. <clears throat> M writes, was Sri Ramakrishna inspired by the ideal of Sita to teach M, to teach him, the yearning that a devotee should feel for God? Sita's very life was centered on Ram, completely absorbed in thought of Ram. Sita forgot even the body, which is so dear to all. He occasionally has these asides where he's trying to understand what's going on. Then he writes, at four o'clock in the afternoon, a Mr. Mukherjee, a relative of a devotee, this is not a devotee, but a relative of a devotee, arrived in the company of a Brahmin, well-versed in the scriptures. Mukherjee. I'm very happy to meet you, sir. Master, Sri Ramakrishna says, God dwells in all beings. He is the gold in all. In some places it is more clearly manifested than in others. God dwells in the worldly-minded, no doubt, but he is hidden there like gold under deep layers of clay. Mukherjee, sir, what is the difference between worldly and otherworldly things? Master, while striving for the realization of God, the aspirant has to practice renunciation, applying the logic of neti neti, not this, not this. This is uh, what they call the via negativa, where you get rid of everything. You throw everything out, not this. Is this God? No, that's not God. It's just whatever you can get, not God, throw it away. It's the Vedantic path. Everything is an illusion. But he says, but after attaining the vision of God, he realizes that God alone has become all things. 
So this is a unique vision. Uh, what Sri Ramakrishna is saying is you begin with Vedanta and renouncing, but when you get to a certain state, then you move to Kashmir Shaivism. You move to Tantra, which is all embracing. You see everything as God. And apparently that's how he saw it. That's the order of things. <clears throat> he goes on, at one time Ram was overpowered by the spirit of renunciation. His father, Dasarat, worried at this and went to the sage Vashishta and begged him to persuade Ram not to give up the world. The sage came to Ram and found him in a gloomy mood. Those of you know that the Yoga Vashishta really depicts this. And the first part, it's like 75 pages of Ram's depression. It's very hard to read, read the, this part of the book. It just goes on and on about how miserable everything is in life. You can't get no satisfaction, nowhere. Just terrible, and Ram is just whinging and complaining. And finally, Vishishta said, shut up now. And make effort to know the self. Uh, he says, but it was renunciation. The fire of intense renunciation had been raging in the prince's mind. Vishishta said, Ram, why should you renounce the world? Is the world outside of God? Reason with me. So he explained, and Ram, Ram realized that the world had evolved from the supreme Brahman. So Ram said nothing. <clears throat> so he got the idea that, that it was all part of it. He was depressed because he couldn't find God anywhere. And uh, Vashishta, the great sage, said, you know, God is everywhere. Not only say that, and it's easy to say, but Vashishta had the power to transmit that experience, and Ramak got it. At one point, uh, Ram asked to know the self, and Vashishya said, I have to be silent. The only way to transmit it is in silence, so shut up, be quiet, turn within, and he transmitted the experience to Ram. <clears throat> so uh, Ramakrishna says, buttermilk is made from the same substance as butter. One who realizes knows that butter goes with buttermilk and buttermilk with butter. So I didn't know much about buttermilk, but I'm told that it's a byproduct of the making of butter, is that right? Very big thing, we used to drink it in India a lot. Anyway, <clears throat> wherever there's butter, there must be buttermilk as well. As long as one feels that Brahman exists, one must also be aware that the universe, living beings, and the 24 cosmic principle exists as well. <clears throat> what does Shaivism say? How many cosmic principles? 36. 36, yeah. These are called the tattvas. Uh, and uh, Shaivism is superior to Vedanta because it has 12 more tattvas <laughs> and that they'd overlooked. 36. What? 36. 36, yeah, 36. <laughs> uh, but in my philosophy, there are 37. So it's even superior to Kashmir Shaivism. Sometimes 39. <clears throat> Ramakrishna says, what Brahman is cannot be described in words. Everything has been described in words except Brahman. Therefore, Brahman is unspoiled. Beyond thought, beyond language, he's saying. <clears throat> Supreme consciousness. But the knowledge of Brahman cannot be realized if the aspirant is worldly-minded, even in the slightest degree. 
<clears throat> he succeeds in acquiring his knowledge only when the mind is totally free of desire and fear. That these things get in the way, desire for externals and fear, lack of faith, these things obviously get in the way of going deeper inside. Addressing Mr. Mukherjee, Sri Ramakrishna said, you are rich and you still call on God. This is the first time he's met him. Also, he's very childlike, Ramakrishna, and he would say all kinds of things that one shouldn't say to other people, but he could say them because he was coming from another place. <clears throat> he says, that's very good indeed. It's said in the Gita that those who fall from the path of yoga are born in their next birth as devotees of God in rich families. So you're okay, you're rich, but you, you're interested in God. He goes on, God, if he so desires, can keep a yani in the world too. That can keep a, a knower of Brahman, can keep him alive. The world and all living beings have been created by his will, but he is self-willed. Brahman, the, the self is self-willed the one without a second. Mukherjee, with a smile, how can God have any will? Does he lack anything? The master, with a smile, what's wrong in that? Water is water, whether it is still or in waves. The snake is a snake, whether it is coiled up motionless or wriggles along. A man is the same man, whether sitting still or engaged in action. So it, because the Vedanta, they have the concept that the supreme Brahman, supreme consciousness, is still and without action. And that any action is part of an illusion. But Shaivism says the active part is Shakti, and the active part is part of God also. <clears throat> he said, so Ramakrishna says, how can you eliminate from reality the universe and its living beings? If you do that, it will lack its full weight. You cannot find the total weight of the bell fruit, which is a, a kind of quince, uh, if you eliminate the seeds and shell. So you have to include the world if you're going to talk about God, because otherwise it won't have the right weight. Brahman is unattached. One finds good and bad smells in the air, but the air itself is untainted. Brahman and Shakti are identical. It is the primordial power that has become the world and all living beings. So Shakti becomes the world. Mukherjee, why does one deviate from the path of yoga? Ramakrishna, as the saying goes, in my mother's womb I was in a state of yoga. Coming into the world, I have eaten its clay. That's different, wasn't it, from what we heard the other day? Shankaracharya said how it's miserable in in the womb, and now he's saying that in the womb you're in the state of yoga, it's samadhi. Then when you come out into the world, you start to eat the clay of the world. The midwife has cut one shackle, the navel cord, so that, that ties you, uh, but how shall I cut the shackle of maya, of great illusion? Maya is nothing but desire and fear. It's a great line. Maya is nothing but desire and fear. This is what the cosmic illusion is made of. A man attains yoga when he's freed his mind from these two. The self, the supreme self, is the magnet. 
The individual self is the needle. So all of our individual selves are needles and being attracted by the divine. So that's why we become spiritual seekers, because there's something in us that wants to go north to the to the lodestone, to the to the uh, self. But some people, it's covered by so much clay that they don't. It's not working. They, everyone's attracted to something, but they go in the wrong direction. Everyone wants to have peace or joy or fulfillment, but they don't know where it is. He says the individual self experiences the state of yoga when it is attracted to the supreme self. When attracted by the supreme self to itself, but the magnet cannot attract the needle if the needle is covered with clay. <clears throat> it can draw the needle only when the clay is removed. The clay of desire and fear must be removed. So that's why some people are interested in spirituality and others are not, because uh, the ones who are not have not gone through enough life experiences and have not discovered uh, the emptiness of external goals and that there is an alternative, uh, they haven't come to that yet. <clears throat> he goes on, Mukherjee, how can one remove it? That is the clay of desire and fear. Master, and these are, there are a couple of methods he, he gives now. This is the first method. Weep for God with a longing heart. Tears shed for him will wash away the clay. Have you been weeping for God with a longing heart? I was thinking about that. I don't know, you'd have to be very peculiar and also very oriented to the self. Uh, but I think that anyone who burns to know the self, who yearns to it, who know, wants to be in that state, be in the state full of shakti, that state full of inner bliss and joy and peace, who really wants to be in it, values it so much that when he goes away from that, he wants to get back to it, that's the same as weeping for it. In more sophisticated age, we probably don't weep too much for it. Uh, but uh, if you burn for it, that's all right too. <clears throat> Perfection in yoga is samadhi. A man achieves kumbhaka without any yogic exercise if he weeps for God. His breath stops and he knows the self. The next stage is samadhi. But there's another method. That's one method if you don't want to just burn and cry for God. <clears throat> that of meditation. <clears throat> in the Sahasra, Shiva manifests himself in a special manner. The aspirant should meditate on him. The body is like a tray. The mind and intellect are like water. The sun of Satchitananda reflected in this water. Meditating on the reflected sun, one sees the real sun through the grace of God. Is this uh, Avabhasa? This is the, what we're talking about in the uh, study group? Bimba Pratibimba? <laughs> so it's like, like in the mind, uh, the, the self is reflected. You don't get the real self, but a reflection of it. And if you meditate on that, you come to the, the real self. The real self is at the source of the mind. 
So he says, meditate on Shiva. <clears throat> but a seeker must but a seeker must constantly live in the company of holy men. It is necessary for all, even for sannyasis, even for swamis, they have to hang out with uh, have satsang. And uh, certainly it was true. I realized that once I met Baba, I only wanted to be able to be in satsang. <clears throat> but it's especially necessary for the householder. His diseases become chronic because he has to live constantly in the midst of desire and fear. You know, the, the Swami just sits and gets food and, and meditates. And, you know, he doesn't have doesn't have to worry about uh, practical things, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> but the household is filled with the, all the vicissitudes of the world. Mukherjee, yes, sir, the disease has indeed become chronic. Master, give God the power of attorney. Let him do whatever he wants. This was a phrase he always said, give God the power of attorney. What's that? What do you call that? Surrender. Surrender, yeah, surrender. The word, the word we hate the most. <clears throat> Be like a kitten and cry to him with fervent heart. You come to me. The mother cat puts the kitten wherever she wants to. The kitten doesn't know anything. It's left sometimes in the bed and sometimes near the fireplace. <laughs> Mukherjee, um, is it good to read sacred books like the Gita? Changes the subject, that was too much. <laughs> the Master, yes, but what will you gain by mere reading? Some have heard of milk, some have seen it, and there are some besides who have drunk it. <clears throat> God can indeed be seen, but what is more, one can talk to him. So he's saying, what is he talking about? Experience. Now he's going to talk about the stages of, of God experience. Of course, the experience rather than intellectual knowledge. That's what a sage like Ramakrishna is talking about. He says, the first stage is that of the beginner. He studies and hears. The second stage is the stage of the struggling aspirant. He prays to God, meditates on him, and sings his name in glories. And he burns and fries also. The third stage is that of the perfect soul. He has seen God, realized him directly, and immediately in his inner consciousness. So after all the struggle, first hearing about it, then putting it into practice, uh, then he's established in that place. But even beyond that, last is the stage of the supremely perfect, like Lord Goranga. That's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Garanga. Uh, such a devotee is, establishes a definite relationship with God, looking at him as his son or beloved. <clears throat> so M says that the devotees who were sitting around were entranced by Sri Ramakrishna's words. They all spontaneously pour out of him all these teachings and stories and analogies. Um, it was time for Mukherjee and his friend to take their leave. They bowed to him and stood up. Ramakrishna showed him courtesy by also standing. Mukherjee smiling says, you don't need to stand up for us. Because he would bow and the master smiling. But what's the harm? 
Water is water, whether it is placid or in waves. I am like a cast-off leaf in the wind. The wind blows that leaf wherever it lists. I am the machine, and God is its operator. It's one of Ramakrishna's famous things. I am the machine, and God is the operator. So you're the machine, and God is the operator. <clears throat> Mr. Mukherjee and his friend left the room. M thought, according to Vedanta, all is like a dream. Are all these, the ego, the universe, and the living beings, unreal then? M had studied, he writes about himself in the third person in the book. M had studied a little Vedanta. He had also read the German philosophers such as Kant and Hegel. So he was educated in the Western style, uh, <clears throat> whose writings are only a faint echo of Vedanta. But Sri Ramakrishna not, did not arrive at his conclusions by reasoning as do ordinary scholars. Second education, it was not through first education, but through second direct experiential education. It was the divine mother of the universe who revealed the truth to him. These were the thoughts that passed through M's mind. A little later, Ramakrishna and M were conversing on the porch west of the master's room. That would be what we saw, the rounded thing. <clears throat> no one else was there. It was late winter afternoon and the sun had not yet gone below the horizon. M, is the world unreal? Master, why should it be unreal? What you're asking is a matter for philosophical discussion. And I'll just read this bit, and then we'll meditate. In the beginning, when a man reasons following the Vedantic method of not this, not this, he realized that Brahman is not the living beings, not the universe, not the 24 cosmic principles. All these things become like dreams to him. Then comes the affirmation of what has been denied, and he feels that it is God himself who has become the universe and all living beings. Suppose you're climbing to the roof by the stairs. As long as you're aware of the roof, you're also aware of the stairs. But he who's aware of the high is also aware of the low. After reaching the roof, you realize that the stairs are made of the same materials as the roof, brick, lime, and brick dust. Both changeability and unchangeability belong to one and the same reality. Shiva and Shakti are one. <clears throat> the ego cannot be done away with. As long as the eye consciousness exists, living beings and the universe must also exist. After realizing God, one sees that it is he himself who has become the universe and the living beings. But one cannot realize this by mere reasoning. Shiva has two states of mind. First is the state of samadhi, where he is transfixed in the great yoga. He is then atmaram, satisfied in the self. So the first state, he is absorbed in the self. Uh, second, the state when he descends from samadhi and keeps a trace of ego. Then he dances about chanting, Ram, Ram. Uh, and M says, did the master describe Shiva to hint at his own state of mind? So he's talking about, in Shevai time, he's talking about Atma Vyapti and Shiva Vyapti, these two phases. 
deep inner absorption, oneness in the self, and then sahaja samadhi, or the, the ability to be in the samadhi state while dealing with everything in the world, to be in that state. So it goes on and on. It was evening, Sri Ramakrishna was meditating, but I'm going to stop. <clears throat> it's a very long book and it's rich with things. You enjoy that? Yeah. So let's uh, meditate for 10 minutes. Um, what shall we meditate on? Let's meditate on the tantric vision that everything that arises, that occurs, that exists, is part of the divine. So when you close your eyes, sometimes uh, meditators say, oh, well, I'm having too many thoughts. I'm having thoughts and feelings, and it's very unpleasant. And I should be in samadhi. I should be in the thought-free state. I should be, have full control of my mind. I'm a lousy yogi, and I'm no good. Uh, but let's take Ramakrishna's tantric vision so that whatever arises in the mind, it could be thoughts, crazy thoughts, stupid thoughts, worries. It could be feelings, not just divine love, but it could be lousy feelings, bad feelings. It's all Shiva. It's all Brahman. It's all God. My depression is God. My joy is God. My fear is God. My courage is God. My agitation is God. And my peace is God. So look at whatever arises as the divine. And we'll meditate on that for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Zakrunat. Maharaj Kijai. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs> 